Thank you for listening to this message from Northwest Hills Community Church in Corvallis, Oregon. You can learn more about our church at nwhills.com. Today, Pastor Josh Karstensen is continuing a series on what it looks like to belong at Northwest Hills, where the second ask is to live like Jesus, which we do through practicing spiritual disciplines. These are important because to live like Jesus, we need to do what Jesus did in order to bear good fruit. After the message, pick one of the nine spiritual disciplines you can focus on for the rest of the month. Now, here's today's message. Yeah, last week we started a newer series. You can see it right here. This is our heartbeat. We're talking about the primary asks of what it means to belong to this church, what it means to be a part of this church. And I would say that the ask, the invitation is for those of you who have been part of our church for a very long time. I'd say the invitation is for those of you who are checking out our church for the first time. Uh, and if, if you're kind of trying to figure out what does my faith journey look like, or again, you've been a committed believer for a while, these asks are literally the steps of kind of what it means to be a follower of Jesus and a part of this church. And so I, I think it's a really good thing every few years to really kind of take a step back and say, what are we all about as a church? Uh, what does it look like to belong here, to really be a part of the things that we're about? Because I said it last week, but every church is a little bit different. We all do things a little bit differently. And we have a little different vision and a little different mission. Well, we all have the same mission, but we have a different way of accomplishing these things. And so we're kind of taking each week, looking at each of our major asks. And last week we started and we talked about committing to Sundays. Uh, If you missed last week, you really should go back and listen to last week. (laughs) That's kind of a joke, I guess. I don't know. It's kind of fun, but um, it's important that we belong to a, a regular gathering. We, we talked about how people have been doing this since Exodus chapter 24, that God says, I want you to gather together and I want you to open up my word. I want you to read truth. And then we apply truth to our lives. And when you gather around one another, you are gathering in a very unique way. You're gathering in my presence with my people. And again, God's, God's been doing this for a while. It started in the tabernacle. Well, it started in Eden, but then it, it kind of reestablished itself in the tabernacle, in the temple, and with Christ and, and Christ in us. And that, that encouragement for us to weekly gather, to dwell with him, to love one another, encourage one another, and to obey. And that's, that's what we do when we gather as a whole here. I said this last week that in this series, I'm not primarily talking about an apologetic for why you should believe God exists. You know, if you're trying to figure out if you believe that, it's a very important question to figure out. And I would encourage you, come talk to me, talk to the person who brought you to church, talk to anyone who's helping anywhere. They would love to talk to you about why you ought to believe uh, in the God of the Bible, why Jesus really is the answer for the deepest longings of your soul. But I'm not primarily trying to give an argument this series about why you should believe as much as I am trying to say, this is what it looks like to be a part of things around here. Again, starting with the idea that we commit to Sundays, that was our first ask. And then today we're going to look at what does it look like to be a people who practice the spiritual disciplines. And today I'm going to kind of do uh, what I would call a shallow dive in the disciplines, but a deeper dive into why we do the disciplines and how they fit into the grand scheme of what we're all about here. And it has everything to do with the follow-up of obedience to this weekly gathering. 
If you remember last week, I, I gave a quote from uh, Justin Martyr in the second century, and he wrote this, I'm going to read it again, about this weekly gathering and the activities that follow this gathering. He said this, he said, On the day called Sunday, all who live in the cities or in the country gather together in one place, and the memoirs of the apostles or the writings of the prophets are read as long as time permits, Then when the reader has ceased, the president verbally instructs and exhorts to the imitation of these good things. Then we all rise together and we pray. We gather, we open up God's word, which is what we're about to do, and then we try to live out God's word in our life. And so today we're going to kind of drill down on what does it mean to live that out and how can we set our lives up so that we will live out God's word. So if you've got a Bible, um, I'm going to ask that you would open it. We're going to stand, um, and we're going to be in John 14. I should have thought this through. It's going to be a little bit different than normal. I'm, I'm reading from four different places. So you can choose one. Here you go. You, you pick and choose. We're going to go John 14, James 1, Luke 6, or 1 John 5. You can follow along in one of those. And I'm going to ask that we'd stand. I'm going to go through. I'm going to read them all. If you're super Christian, you can follow along. Good luck. John 14, starting in verse 15. I'm just going to rail through some of these. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's John 14, 15. James 1, 22. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Luke 6, 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. Verse 48, he is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. When a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been built well. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. 1 John 5, 3. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grab a seat. Typically, we would kind of read through one passage of Scripture, but today we're kind of looking at a broader uh, idea as we look at the spiritual disciplines. We kind of get the idea from these four verses that there is a pattern here that God says, if you love me, you will obey me, right? We will obey me. And then you get to the last part of that section that we just read in 1 John 5, and he says, and my commandments are not burdensome. And you, you think about that, and you think about, well, they're not hard, they're not heavy, But then if your experience is like mine, you think about a lot of the commandments and you go, well, I don't know, because sometimes they do seem pretty burdensome. They do seem pretty heavy. They seem hard to follow, 
Right? You think about some of the commandments that God instructs us in and, and to be patient and to be kind and to love one another well and to not think of yourself more highly than you ought and to be generous and to be obedient to our parents and to have self-control. And all of these are, are not necessarily easy, but the, the scripture is very clear. If we don't obey, we're building our house without a foundation and not if the flood comes, but when it comes, our house will be destroyed. Right? So, so what does it look like to be a people who hear God's word and obey it? And if this is so important, if this is so pivotal, how do we build into our lives a, a lifestyle that says, I'm going to hear every week and then I'm going to obey? Right? And there's kind of two major parts to hearing and obeying. There's the first part of hearing and obeying that says, uh, I hear it and I believe it. Like that's a major hurdle. We've got to believe the words that we hear. And then for many of us in the room, we believe it, but we need to obey it. So we're going to talk about both of these issues today. What does it look like to be someone who hears God's word and then believes his word? And then what does it look like to believe God's word and then obey God's word? Both of these are important. Both of these are really crucial to this whole idea of hearing and obeying. So in order to do this, we're going to open up another passage of scripture. Again, I don't typically jump around, but we're jumping around a bit today. So we're going to go Luke chapter eight, a very familiar passage to many, looking at what it means to hear God's word and how we respond to it. A, believing that this is God's word and that I ought to do something about this, and B, believing that word and what does it look like to respond. So this is a a story where Jesus is telling his disciples, this is what the kingdom of God is like, and this is what it looks like to hear and obey me. And he gives an analogy of a farmer with seed. Again, a very familiar passage to many. And, and Jesus talks about scattering the seed in multiple different places. And he talks about four different places in particular. And we're going to look at the kind of follow through as Jesus is speaking to his disciples of what this certain parable means. And we're going to look at how this interacts to our response when we gather and we hear God's word. So we're going to pick it up in verse 11 of Luke chapter 8. I'm going to read all the way to verse 15. It says this, this is Jesus talking. He says, now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. Because these have no roots, they believe for a while and in time of testing, they fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns... They are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. And that is the good soil, or as for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. So we think about a gathering like this and we think about any time that you hear God's word proclaimed or any time you're confronted with the truth of God's word, there's kind of four different ways that people respond to the hearing of God's word. He talks about the first one. He says this is someone who uh, ultimately hears the word and doesn't believe it. This is someone who says, you know what, I, I know that you think that this is from God, but I don't want anything to do with this. I, I don't believe it at all. I don't believe this is from God. And Jesus says that this is Satan taking this away and, and their mind not being able to believe what is true. 
I don't think it's a mistake that this is the first thing that Jesus says, the first seed that's cast out there, because many, many people in our world would see it like this. They would say, thank you for this word that you proclaimed or that I heard, but you know what? It's not for me. I don't believe it whatsoever. That's the first person. That's the first reaction. That's sometimes people in this room. You hear the word and you go, ah, thanks preacher. Thanks person who brought me, but no thanks for me. Then you see the second person. The second person he says is like a seed who's thrown into the rocks. In this area, what he's talking about is uh, the, the, the soil was, was thin in a lot of places, and there's a lot of rock bed in the Middle East. And so uh, a seed would get cast out and would sprout for just a little bit, but then immediately when its roots tried to go down, it would hit rock and it would ultimately die because it has no roots. This is someone who, when they come to church, when they hear God's word, they have kind of an emotional encounter. They have an exciting uh, moment, and, and they get really excited about the idea of God. They get really excited about the idea of a church. And I see this all the time. I see someone coming in, and they say, man, I, I just finally found the church I've always wanted. I, I love it. And it almost seems like there is a direct correlation with people's immediate excitement with how quickly or, or their inability to return the next week. And we do this in life all the time. We get really excited about things. Right? Think about how often like, you have a, a good workout every once in a while, and you're like, okay, I'm going to be someone who's committed. I'm going to do this all the time. Or you know, maybe you have an evening where instead of doing your normal routine of watching TV and surfing your phone, you, you pick up a book, and you, you really like the experience. You're like, man, I'm, I'm going to be a reader from here on out. Every week, I'm going to do this. Or maybe you, you sit your kids down after dinner, and you're like, okay, I'm going to teach you math. I'm going to teach you how to read, and you have a really good session for about an hour, and afterwards, you're just feeling like, I'm going to be the best dad ever, every day, after dinner, this is what I'm going to do with my kids, and man, you're looking at me like you have no idea what I'm talking about, (laughs) right? Like, how often do we get excited about things that we do, and we like those things, we like the things, whether, I mean, maybe you're like, oh, my family never goes on vacation, you finally go on that good vacation, you're like, okay, every year, we are going to go, and then every year comes, and you kind of forget, and this is kind of the pattern of life. There's, there's no roots and we get excited about something and then we just forget and we just keep moving on with our life. And that's what Jesus says are some people who hear this word. They hear the word, they like what they hear, but they have no roots so they don't last. Then you get the third person. And this is the person who is thrown into the thorns. It says this, but as they go on their way, they're choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. And their fruit does not mature. This is people who like the idea of God, but the, the reality is they don't have an emotional high. They're just distracted by life. I want you to listen to these words from John Piper. He writes this in Hunger for God. These are powerful words. He says, The greatest enemy of hunger for God is not poison, but apple pie. It's not the banquet of the wicked that doles our appetite for heaven, but endless nibbling at the table of the world. It's not the X-rated video, but the primetime dribble of triviality we drink in every night. For all the ill that Satan can do when God describes what keeps us from the banquet table of his love, it is a piece of land, a yoke of oxen, and a wife. The greatest adversary to love to God is not his enemies, but his gifts. And the most deadly appetites are not for the poison of evil, but for the simple pleasures of earth. These are not evil in themselves. They are not vices. They are gifts of God. They are your basic meat and potatoes and coffee and gardening and reading and decorating and traveling and investing and TV watching and internet surfing and shopping and exercising and collecting and talking. And all of them can become deadly substitutes for God. And many of us will hear the words of God 
whether it's in a gathering like this, whether it's in a podcast, whether it's in something that we read, and we will like what we hear, but we will simply be distracted by the rest of life, by many things that are considered decent, good things. He says, they're choked out by the riches and pleasures of life. Like pleasures being good things, like maybe my family is just so important to me that I forget to give time to the Lord or my friends or my hobbies or whatever these beautiful good gifts are that we get distracted and we forget to follow through and obey. Then we get to the last person and ultimately this is the person who is the Christian. This is the person who hears and who follows and who believes and then also obeys. Verse 15, as for that in the good soil, they are those who hearing the word hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. They bear fruit with patience. This is, this is the idea that they, they hear and they respond over a long period of time and they hold fast. And the, the idea here is they keep holding fast. They keep holding fast to this word. They, they have roots. They're not distracted by the trivialities of this world, but we hold fast to this thing. And over time in patience, we bear fruit. So the question is, how do we do this? How do we make sure that when we hear this, we're not distracted? How do we make sure that we truly do believe? How do we make sure that we obey? Right? In order to do this, we want to be a people who live like Jesus lived. Right? And to live like Jesus lived, we got to do the things that Jesus did. And, and we look at Jesus' life, and we look at the life of people who follow Jesus, and, and we can kind of create a, a montage and a picture and a, a beautiful idea of what this type of life ought to look like. And it's marked by a number of different things that we kind of put together, and we put them together in this kind of package that we call the spiritual disciplines. We put it together with this kind of uh, a whole collection of things that we actually do to put ourselves in a place to train ourselves. Because obedience takes training. We can't just say, I want to be a certain way. We've got to train ourselves to be a certain way. And so what does it look like to kind of train ourselves? What did Jesus actually do? Not just what did he say, but what did he do to train his mind, to train his life, to train his body, and to train his soul to be an obedient follower of God and what the disciples do and what did all the beautiful like men and women and pictures of people do who were followers over this long period of time. We're going to look at nine different spiritual practices that people have done for centuries, right? And these are practices. These are things that you do. They're not just attitudes. It's not just, well, if you want to follow God, you got to have love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and health, self-control. That's not the call here. That's, that's the result Right? But we're talking about the practice to get the result. These are things that we train our schedules for. These are things that we train our bodies for. These are things that we orient our lives around. And this is why the spiritual disciplines are the second ask around here. Basically, this is us saying it's important to come to church. It's important to gather. But we also need to do things on our own, in our own lives, to train ourselves to be obedient, long-term, patient followers that bear fruit over time. We're going to look at nine different practices. I think I did nine points last week, so I wanted to follow it up with nine this week. They're pretty straightforward. We're not going to do a deep, deep dive into each one, but I'm just looking at these nine different practices. Many of these will be familiar to many of you. The first one, in no particular order, is prayer. 
Right? And prayer is just the very idea of communicating with God, of talking with God, of building relationship with God. And, and there's no particular posture that you can pray that is more effective than another. There's all kinds of different postures that are appropriate for prayer. Right? We, we, we prayed multiple times in the service already. We had many people gathering before church, praying in a large circle. After that, we had a bunch of different smaller teams break out. We had a kind of a youth team praying and a welcome team praying and the music team praying and different people praying. We can pray on our own. I was praying in my car on the way here. I was praying in my office by myself. Sometimes, like last night, I'm laying on my garage floor. It's carpeted. But I'm laying on there next to my space heater, just praying, begging God. God, do something in the hearts of our people that we would be obedient, long-term followers of you. Sometimes prayer is kind of a simple begging God to do something. Right? A, a couple weeks ago, uh, Gary, our youth pastor, and I were, uh, were goose hunting with another friend of ours. And we'd been hunting for a couple hours, and we were kind of chasing geese all over, and nothing was really landing in our decoys. And after a couple hours, I, I turned to Gary and I said, how lame is it that we have a pastor, a youth pastor, and a worship pastor here, and we haven't even prayed and asked God to give us some birds? So sure enough, we pray, and I kid you not, within minutes, we had thousands of geese upon us, literally. Um, not to say that that's how prayer always works. I pray all the time when I'm hunting, and very rarely, if not ever, does that happen. But it's an awareness that God is with us in these moments, right? Prayer, and prayer is ultimately connecting us with the Father heart of God, right? And God is a good Father, uh, a Father who, like any good Father, wants to be with His children, right? If you're a good Father, it doesn't matter when and where. Like, if your kids uh, want to spend time with you, you want to spend time with your kids. If they say, hey, dad, I want to go on a walk with you. Awesome. Dad, let's go to ice cream. Great. Dad, can I watch TV with you? Great. Dad, can we read? Right? If you're in my phase of life, like you're kind of tired of that sometimes. But as you get older, apparently that's like a really treasured, beautiful thing when your kids really want to spend time with you. Prayer is just that, spending time with God. Jesus does it. We see it 25 different times in his life where he is off praying to his father. The second thing we're going to talk about is meditation, and we've talked about this before. This is just simply thinking deeply about God, right? Eastern meditation is emptying your mind of things, and Christian meditation is the idea of filling your mind with the things of Christ. And what I like to do very often is, is just kind of sit and listen to music. And we think about the Christian music, and you think about filling your mind with the ideas of, here's, this is who God is, this is his nature, this is being, and you just think through deeply. What is it like to think deeply about God? It's such a gift because our world is, is kind of designed to fill our minds with other things, right? We're literally being bombarded perpetually with, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about this. And meditation is literally taking control of that saying, I am going to be the person who decides what I'm going to think about. And I'm going to think deeply about the things of God. I'm going to put these things in my mind. Meditation is, again, is a practice where we fill our minds with the things of God. Number three, Fasting. Fasting is the idea of going without food primarily for a said given time to train our bodies, to train our minds, to crave the things that are not trivial things in this world, to train our, thing, our, our mind for the things to come, to train our mind that says, what my body needs is not the things just of this world, but of the world that is to come. Right, And so uh, fasting is something that people have been practicing forever. You see this all throughout Scripture. You see it with Moses, Elijah, with David. Uh, we saw it in Esther. You see it with Jesus. You see it with Paul. You see it uh, with Barnabas. It's, it's assumed. Jesus talks about this. He says, when you fast. Uh, you don't see any direct commandments in the New Testament that you have to do this, but it's just regularly practiced by everyone, and it's spoken about by everyone. 
Right? This is probably a practice that not many of us grew up with. It's, it's probably something that's a bit challenging. It's my least favorite of all these. Um, I don't like fasting. I'm just going to be honest. I, I try it about once a month, and it's hard every single time. I've been doing this for six or seven years pretty consistently now, and I hate it every single time. But what it does is it trains me not to have desires just for my earthly um, consumption, but to have a desire for God. And there's a lot of different ways you can fast, right? But primarily it's around food. But we also have other challenges of fasting as well. I challenge our staff. This is, I think, the second year that our staff has done this. I've done this for about four years now. From January till Easter, take something and fast from it. Whether it's social media, whether it's coffee, uh, whether it's sugar, whatever it may be, fast from something that your body craves and go for a period of time where you can kind of perpetually put your mind in that state that says, you know what, I don't need the things of this world, I need the things of you. We see Jesus doing this for the first 40 days of his ministry, right? He fasts to prepare his life for ministry, to put his mind and body in a spot where he says, I'm going to depend on you. Number four, Bible reading. It's one of the most basic, most straightforward, yet I think challenging practices for many of us. This is simply a way that we can hear God's voice. I mean, I can't tell you how often I have conversations with people like, I just want to hear from God. I just want to hear from God. Well, are you reading his word? Well, occasionally. Like the primary way that God speaks is through his word. He continues for years, for centuries to speak through his word. And I'm, I'm telling you, it's incredible how applicable God's word is to our life, even words that were written thousands of years ago. Uh, recently, I've been in a dive in the book of Proverbs. And for whatever reason in my life, I haven't really done a deep dive in Proverbs until right now in my life. And I kind of read uh, until I'm done with a certain chapter. So I will read, you know, maybe a week in there, maybe two weeks, maybe two days, and just chew on it, chew on one chapter at a time. And it is incredible how the things I'm reading from the words of Solomon and other writers 3,000 years ago are literally directly correlating to my life today. And this happens when we open up and we read God's word. Number five, simplicity. In Matthew 19, Jesus has this pretty fascinating conversation with a young man who comes to him. He says, Jesus, what, do, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? And Jesus says to him, he says, this is a rich young man. He says, go sell everything that you have and give it away to the poor. And it's pretty interesting that Jesus does not say to this man, hey, I just want you to think about your life and I want you to think about yourself and just have an attitude of generosity, have an attitude that, that um, worships me, that you can have a lot of stuff and still worship me. For many people, Jesus says, hey, you actually have to get rid of your stuff. You need to simplify yourself because whether you know it cognitively or not, you have a bent towards wanting more of your stuff and letting your stuff own you. And so Jesus says, you need to simplify. You need to get rid of it because what you want is not ultimately me. It's your stuff. And this invitation to live a life of simplicity, to not live a life of complexity so that we are distracted by these things. He says this in another spot in Luke 12. He says, take care and be on your guard against covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And when we have many possessions, it can be easy to want more and to be consumed with just our stuff and not the things of God. Number six, Sabbath. Right? This is taking one, week, one day out of your week and saying, I'm going to dedicate this to the Lord. And this has been practiced ever since early Genesis. God creates the world. And after six days, on the seventh day, it says God rested. 
when God is commanding his people uh, in, through Moses, when he's saying, hey, this is what life ought to look like, and he gives his 10 primary commandments, the longest commandment that God gives is a commandment on Sabbath. We see this in Exodus chapter 20. He says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreign uh, residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is no longer a commandment, but it's an invitation. Right? It's an invitation for a New Testament believer to say, hey, I know it. our lives are consumed and filled with progress. Right? So in, in our family, what Sabbath looks like is, is taking one day a week and saying, hey, we're not going to do any work. We're not going to do any progress. So we're going to put all projects aside, and we're going to try to build this day around the idea that I am to take pleasure in who God is. So it may be filled with having a great meal with your family. It may be filled with going and doing something fun. It may be filled with um, opening up God's word and saying, God, I want to delight in you. Thank you for the gift that was this last week and the gift that might be next week, Lord willing. But God, you are the author and perfecter of my life. Thank you for that. And it's this physical reminder of taking a day and saying, God, I've got six to do what I think you're asking me to do uh, in progress and in work. But on the seventh day, I'm going to commit it to you and you alone. Number seven, stewardship. Right? This, is, this can be the practice of giving our money back to the Lord and also the idea of being a, a people who are generous. Oftentimes when we talk about stewarding and we think about it in the terms of, of a church or we think about it in terms of, of a nonprofit, we, we talk about giving for. We talk about giving for something. And so you'll get a good leader who will say, hey, come join me financially in this thing so that we can do X, Y, and Z. Right? So that we can create a church who's, who's you know, promulgating truth. We can create a church that's rising up this next generation. That we can do these things. That we can help relocate a family uh, from Afghanistan. That we can help schools. That we can do all these types of things. And we talk about the idea very often of, of giving for something. But I want to look at it in a little different angle today. I want to talk about giving from something. Not just to a cause, but from a posture that says, you know what, I give as a reminder that everything that I have is not mine. And Jesus commands me to give. He says, hey, when you give, you're literally training your mind to say, this is not yours, and you don't even necessarily get to decide where it all goes or how it's all spent. You commit to something, and then you give to that, because everything that is yours is mine. And then we are to be a people who are radically generous, right? In our stewardship, we are to be people who are lavish with love towards one another, Number eight, we got two more confession. First John 1 John 1.9 says this, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Confession is both to God and to other people. This is simply the act of saying out loud or saying in your mind, saying to God, saying to someone else, I'm sorry, what I did was wrong. I was informed a couple weeks ago that I'm not very good at this, my wife tells me. <laughs> And sometimes I need to get better at it. And I tried to confess, to which she said that wasn't a great confession. So I'm working on it. But it's something that we need to regularly get in the practice of saying, you know what, I was wrong here, I'm sorry. Jesus doesn't just say, hey, have a mindset that says you were wrong. Understand that it is a practice for us to confess. 
One of the things that I think is important for us on Sundays as we come and, you know, we sing songs and we open up God's words is we evaluate and we put our hearts before the Lord. God, where do I need to confess this week? Where do, I, where do I need to verbally confess to someone else that I wronged them? And where do I need to confess to you, Lord, that I've wronged you? I mean, I can't tell you there's been numerous Sundays that after church I'll have to call someone or text someone, hey, I'm sorry, like in staff meeting I, did, I said this and, and that was rude and I'm sorry. Or to my kids or to my wife or whatever it may be, part of our practice for putting ourselves in a place where we are obedient is by regularly practicing the discipline of confession. And then lastly, number nine, celebration, right? We, we've talked about this a few times over the years. We want to be a people who celebrate. Like, we don't want to be a staunchy people. We want to be a people who, as God calls three times in the Old Testament, set aside a major feast and celebrate, right? Have, have we gotten better at celebrating over the last couple of years? Some of you, please say yes. A few of you, yeah, I've had some people, I've had multiple emails in the last couple of years. Hey, I'm thinking about my annual celebration. Does this feel celebratory? I said, well, as long as I'm invited, let's go. It sounds epic, right? We want to be a people who celebrate. We want to be a people who, you know, literally there, there is a, fa- a feast in the Old Testament where they take 10% of their annual giving and they say, God, we're just blowing it all out because you have provided everything in my life. Right? We're not just trying to store away everything for the future or everything for the present. God, we are saving it to be a people who celebrate. So what does celebration in your life look like? Maybe you need to go to lunch today. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Be doers of the word and not just hearers. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. The way that we keep his commandments is that we train, and we train, and we train, and we practice, and we practice, and eventually we train our hearts, we train our minds, we train our souls, and we train our bodies to be a people who are obedient. And I would say that the, the invitation for the disciplines is both for the believer and for the person who's seeking, and here's why. If you're not a believer, and, and you're curious, and you're trying to figure out what this God thing is all about, what a better place to put yourself in than saying, you know what, I'm going to commit my, my week to prayer. I'm going to commit my week to confession. I'm going to commit my uh, week to having a Sabbath, to putting yourself near God and saying, God, show yourself to me. God will reveal himself to you. If you're doing your part, putting yourself next to him, asking him. And then for the believer, it goes without saying, the invitation for all of us is to train ourselves. And the way that we train ourselves is by being a people who commit to discipline. And to commit to discipline means we commit to doing specific things. And the invitation is that we are people who practice these disciplines. Pretty straightforward, yet harder than ever, I promise you, to be a people who regularly commit to these things is not a simple uh, life, but it is a, a life worth living and is a life that over time, as our text says, in patience will be a people who produce fruit. We do every week and we hear your words that we want to be people who obey them. And in order to obey them, we can't just have a, a fury of excitement and we can't just, you know, be all riled up for one week that, oh, I'm going to do this. We need to commit to long-term ongoing disciplines. Disciplines that train our minds, disciplines that train our souls, that we can be a people who over a long period of time can produce a fruit with patience. Lord, I thank you for giving a life that was an example to how we ought to do this. And Lord, I thank you that when we fail, you still love us and you are with us. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.
Thanks for listening to today's teaching from Northwest Hills Community Church. We hope you find ways to apply the gospel to your life. And be sure to check out our website, nwhills.com, where you'll find ways to engage, including resources like our application questions. Thanks again for listening.